Welcome to the Culture Crush. We are back in the studio with artist Sophie Vasquez. Say hi, Sophie. Hi. And today we have a special guest, um, which is in line with our focus on beauty and the cultural narrative. I can't think of a New York City beauty cultural narrative more fun than this one. Um, welcome, Ricky Kenig. Ricky Hello. of Ricky's Beauty. <laughs> good morning, everybody, or good afternoon. Um, and we feel so lucky to have him here so we can talk all things New York City, culture, community, and all of the fun things. All the galore. Uh, and all of the, um, you know, the sort of uh, community, cultural touchstones of a certain time in the city um, and sort of like what that what was all that, about what that was all about mm-hmm. yeah okay so. no. <laughs> with no filter no filter and no uh no uh, forms for me to read off or whatever it's all going buckshot okay buckshot. go ahead shape the heart okay <laughs> shape in the heart yeah. shape in the heart okay <laughs> new york style <laughs> so sophie do you i mean you okay so last time you came by ricky i was showing you the um the anniversary scene that we did which had sophie's incredible story uh with the indie wrestlers and mm-hmm. A lot of it, you know, we were talking about kayfabe, and that was the last episode right. that we uh, that we released. We were talking about kayfabe, which is the breaking of the characters, and that's why she was sort of focused on them sort of doing each other's makeup backstage and all of that kind right. of stuff. And I know that you had a, a really incredible reaction to those pictures when I showed them to you, just because they're so real and they're just so fun. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. I mean, it's not like that bland beautiful six footer walking down you know this is more cultured real people yeah in real situations yeah yeah no i mean thank you it's very much like it's a really part of like the culture of just it's a very grittiness to it so like i will see people make a highlighter into an eyeshadow a lipstick shimmer just if they have a certain look that they want to go for even though in five minutes it's going to be smudged off or like covered in blood and sweat and tears they still want to have like that present and even then afterwards it's even more beautiful because it's just like all like the human bodily fluid just like meshed with the makeup so it just has yeah no as an outsider you're looking at that i always think it's amazing how they have no problems doing some of this knowing that it's going to be off in a few minutes Mm -hmm. or it's going to be smudged and look like it was on all day when it was only a few minutes similar to the way football players or baseball players do the black uh marking underneath their eyes it's like for what? I mean, it's supposed to do something from the sun reflecting off your cheek, you know, but I didn't get it, but it smudges right away. And some of them look like WWE, you know, mm. uh, fighters after an inning. Yeah, because like, I think it's also just become an empowerment thing. Because even, I don't even know what the sunblock thing, I think I in films, and they're always showing a kid like, okay, I'm going to be tough. They like just get the dirt and just like right. smeared on like, like, in, like William Dafoe, like platoon. <laughs> when they're right, just like, right. okay, we're just going to like get in the war zone. But yeah, for like the camouflage type yeah. of thing. Yeah. It's kind of just like, it's like body paint, war paint, even then. Like, it's like, like Adamant. <laughs> what, they did like 60 million? Oh, no, Adamant, the original Adam Australian Ant. guy. Yeah. No, because he the was singer, the, right. yeah, with the white Yeah, yeah, sure. piratey kind of, uh, yeah. Sorry, I think it was, my, like, was my but wasn't he Australian? Record. No, he's British, British, British. British? Okay, British. yeah. He was great during that. Yeah, sorry. Or, it was like Billy Idol I'm era. showing my age. Showing yeah, my well. age. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Excuse so me. why so tell us so let's let's hear some stories. Sure. Tell us about the shop. Tell us about the vibe. It's you know it's really having grown up in the New York City in the '80s myself. 
uh, you know, I just, I know that it was just sort of like part of the landscape, the downtown cool sort of landscape. Okay. <laughs> well, early on in the 70s, my father was in the junkyard business. And he used to take me to work on Saturdays and he would go spend time in a friend's operation that sold uh, fragrances, wholesale fragrances. And my, I would do hang out there and stuff. And my dad would do business. And early on, my father got me involved in seeing what was going on in the business world. He might not have been um, the most educated or, whatever, you know, or anything like that. He just knew that you got to hustle. You know, and you there were opportunities, but none of us saw the opportunities in the beginning. You just went on a gut feeling that you had through experience from your interaction with people, looking at the trends and seeing where everything is moving. He opened up a store in the Bronx in a rough neighborhood and he started. Which, he, which neighborhood? It was uh, Kingsbridge Road. People. Which one? Kingsbridge Road near the Armory. Oh, that's rough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was right before it went underneath, like whatever. I mean, he was, we used to, um, he had two stores. One was right next to the Armory and the other one was a few blocks up. Mm -hmm. So I would work in the few blocks up and it was a really strange thing. And my father um, would put products outside like hangers and mats and stuff like that. And these young kids would, you know, and women and everything would go and steal it. So my job was to stand out there. So I remember one of the first days my dad gave me the job was to stand out there. Some girl took a bag off the, um, the door and mm. I said, hey, you. And she hit me and I was like, I don't know what the hell to do. Mm. I mean, like what? So I stayed inside after that. <laughs> okay, and I just would do stock work. And, you know, the biggest item back then was tat and boric acid, all the cockroach, you know, components and mm -hmm. stuff. And my dad was there for years in the Bronx. And then he said one day, he goes, maybe I should go into Manhattan. And at the time, it was a risky thing for him because New York prices were crazy compared to the prices on Kingsbridge Road. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. So he opened up, he found a store, he opened it up. The store was called uh, Linda Love. And I was like, Linda Love. I mean, and found out later it was from Linda Lovelace. I was going to say, that's like the porn star. Correct. There was a porn studio around the corner on 64th Street between 3rd and Lex. Mm -hmm. And my father's store was right there on 64th and 3rd. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Spencer Haywood with Iman lived on the same block. I mean, it was an amazing thing back then. And my father opened up the store and he decided, he goes, you know what, maybe I'll open up on Sundays. Now this is Sundays, nobody was ever open. Mm -hmm. And he did $500 on Sunday and it turned out to be like the second best day. Saturdays are always your best day. And boom, he just created this whole thing of being open seven days a week. So he opened up the one store on 64th. He then opened another store. Um, well, he bought a store out on 66th and 3rd. And then he uh, bought another store out on 68th and second, and then another store on 64th and second. I'm like, there's four stores in a four block radius and they all did well. Mm -hmm. Now, who, who would imagine, okay? But I think it was because of my father going to the ghetto and going to the hard part first and making it work that the scary part was going into the city because of the high cost factors yeah. and stuff like that. But once you're in, you're in. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's unheard of even today to have four stores in a four block radius during the biggest boom. And this was far from it. So I um, worked for him on the weekends. I was able to get a driver's license at 15 back then. 
15, they also, they didn't have DWIs, they didn't have seatbelts. I mean, it was a whole nother world. <laughs> and my father would uh, give me permission to drive into the city on Sunday so I would work. And I just learned the business every day, you know, from living it and doing it. And one time I got into a fight with my dad and he wanted to, my pay was $5. He said I was overpaid, $5 for the whole day. So of course I didn't take that too well because I wanted this uh, pillow that you sit in your ch on a bed or a couch, you know, it had like little arms and it was a comfortable thing. And that cost $5. My dad said, no, you, you have your choice, $5 or the chair. And I was like, I'll just, no, you know, I'll take the $5. And then the next week I went to work again and I realized that I could make some money. So I ended up buying the Smile Gum, it was called, for 25 cents and selling it. I think I paid, no, I paid a nickel and I sold it for 25 cents and I turned that $5 into like $50. So I kept doing it and things were working out great. I ended up getting sent home from school because I was competing with the local store within the school for the students. <laughs> so I just moved on to the next thing and started buying and selling different miscellaneous things. Like I would go to hair salons and buy their professional hair care and put it in. I would go to Kiehl's and buy this one item. It was, um, it was a men's, uh, it was, uh, there was number, the one number product, number one product in about the eighties that they had. I mean, I forgot it. Of course I'll remember right after this. It, has to do with it. it was like a shaving thing or something. I think. Yeah. There was a few of them. There was, um, the one was like some sort of a, a skin bomb. So what I would do is I would go in there, buy 10 or 20 pieces at full retail, bring them to the store, mark them up like three, $4 and made it a convenience for a customer. So they didn't have to walk all the way over there. Then, I found out that somebody would tip off the people at Kiehl's so they would come in and buy it. So I was like, great, not a problem. I would stock it up, only keep a few pieces out, and on a rainy day, I'd put it all out and then call them myself to say that uh, Ricky's now has it, blah, blah, blah. They would come in and I would charge double my cost. So I made a few hundred dollars every rainy day mm -hmm. from just that one thing and they helped me and they didn't realize it. So. That just got me into doing like maybe things that I probably shouldn't have. Nothing was illegal, but you know, I rocked the boat. You yeah, know, I would like do it. like um, phytoplage. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that item. It came in a tin can. It was a Paris, uh, a French product. And there, it looked like Ronson um, butane and it was a skin oil. They had a whole bunch of products. They did the same thing. They, um, I would go there. They were working out of, the, they had their warehouse or their showroom out of the Revlon building. So I would send my cashiers there with different credit cards that I owned under different names, <laughs> go in there and buy a whole bunch of stuff, put it in the, in the store and great, nobody had it. You can only get it in France. And I had it in like at the time, five or six different stores. So they, um, they called me out, sued me, they lost because I had proof of everything. So on one time, uh, the New York Times uh, magazine called me and they said, so what's your take on Fido and stuff like that? And I, um, I said, something. I said, they can fucking go suck my dick. Okay. And they fucking, they wrote it in the New York <laughs> magazine and everybody like laughed at it because they were trying to make me look like I was stealing it. And I said, if I was stealing it, I would be locked up. And why would I be talking about it? I had proof. I paid full price. What I sell it for is my choice. 
So I just learned how to play with the system and bend the system. And that led to, I remember when Supreme, the store first opened up, I would um, buy products, not, nothing crazy, a few sweatshirts here and there, but it wasn't available outside of the US at the time. So um, a friend of mine that I met on eBay, we started talking, we built some trust. And he said, listen, could you get me this sweatshirt that's coming out or these pair of sneakers? And I was like, sure. He goes, how can I help you? I said, well, get me Elnet hairspray from, um, what was it? Uh, I forgot the name of the chain, but out in London. And he said, okay. So he would, we figured out how many to ship by air so that that way it wouldn't get confiscated because of the butane. So we were down to nine cans. I would get a shipment every week of nine cans. And then September 11 happened and my friend would go to the store. Uh, the store was Boots, I'm sorry. So the store, um, so my friend would buy like a, a four pack and he stored them and he bought hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. So the next day he calls me up and says, Rick, I have a problem. I can't do anything. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, Scotland Yard followed me home. They thought I was making a bomb. Right. I mean, you can't make this up. I mean, and I was like, wow. There's a fine line, I feel like, between beauty products and, you know. Chemical, machinery. Machinery, chemicals. You started off with the, your dad with the with The boric acid. Yeah, so, tat. You know, and, yeah. yeah, no, there were a lot. I remember the with um, the model uh, Marla Hansen, and the brand was Dermablend that was super smart, saw an opportunity to jump in and help her. I don't know. This is be way before your time. A little bit, yeah. Okay, so, Before Sophie's time, yeah. not mine. Right. <laughs> so there was um, a famous model. She lived in Soho, and her landlord wanted to be with her. Mm -hmm. um, and they got into a fight. He took a razor blade and cut up her face. Mm -hmm. And a brand that was only known in the theatrical industry, mostly for uh, drag queens and stuff like that, because it was super thick and cakey medicine, uh, mm -hmm. excuse me, makeup, mm -hmm. that um, they came to the rescue and made it so that she could model again. They fixed her up with all the stuff and she became successful and the brand became the go-to brand. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you were still, you were having cross-dressers and drag queens kind of coming out of the closet and being out there and they now they finally had a makeup to cover their stubble. And that, you know, the five <laughs> wow. o'clock shadow, you mm -hmm. know, and from there, that was, uh, we got into gay pride and then we boosted up Halloween because it was another opportunity to make a lot of money. Gay pride was every drag queen and closeted person would come out and get dressed up. And now we also had Halloween, which is a double hit. <laughs> so, I mean, there were opportunities. I remember we got involved in adult novelties because at the time we only had four um, bachelor parties, you know, maybe a four foot shelf of like comical things that we thought were funny. And Mayor Giuliani at the time took all of those little sex shops and DVD shops and told them they have to switch their business to instead of 100% adult novelties, the 60-40, you have to do 60% legitimate merchandise for the consumer, like DVDs, all, you know, all those things, and 40% adult novelties. So again, saw that as an opportunity. Remember, all this is before the internet. So you had to have the vibe. You couldn't get the vibe from social media mm -hmm. or from the newspaper. You had to really be on the front line 
in New York City. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that. Sure. So let's talk about the vibe. Like that, you know, that's, that's a, a really interesting. Yeah. And you just shut me off if yeah. you can, when it's, I'll keep, I'll keep going until I drop. Yeah, that's so as far as okay. So, yeah. I mean, I'm okay, enjoying so, it. Yeah, so let's do, <laughs> learning so much. Yeah, ask right. questions. Yeah. So yeah, so let's. So when you say so, we had to make the vibe. So talk about that. So okay, what, what, how, so how well, did you the go best, about that? Okay, um, well, the easiest thing was once we. My first location was at 718 Broadway, and at the time, which is Broadway and uh, between Astor and Fourth, right at the intersection right. of Washington. Right. At the time, that was what year are we in? In the uh, 89. Okay. So I just want to point out to our younger listeners that it was a very different city at that time. And there was, it's not, I, I, we live in sort of a Disneyland version of New York City at this point. Well, you didn't go past 23rd Street. 23rd Street was considered so far downtown. <laughs> right. It was, you know, it was incredible. Well, um, now Astor and that's just NYU. It's just, it's just NYU campus. It's just yeah. NYU campus. It's, it's lost all of its you know fun and griminess, and it's just. So we would take, college. I was not, so we. I was living on the Upper East Side, and we would take the six train the in a group mm-hmm. only because to go into the subway at all was yeah, especially you need, downtown. You needed to be in like a group of people, and we would get off at around there, and they had the um, Astor Place. 110 hairdressers, the cutters, right? Seven dollars, right? So it was all about that kind of stuff. Yep. We would go down, and we were, you know, we were in like eighth grade or something, you know, like 12, 13 years old, and that these were the kind of things that we like went to find these kind of alternative underground kind of things and yeah. and ricky's was definitely one of those stops. yeah and then you had unique clothing a little further down you had his brother don't get me Canal started jeans. yeah <laughs> don't get me started right. on those racks and racks of those incredible overcoats yes. that we used to get the russian for like ones five cents. you know I hit mean, everything yeah oh my god incredible antique well, boutique yeah all. sure <laughs> yeah, sure yeah, yeah. and i was positioned right next to all right, of them right. i actually took the original unique clothing store Right, right. That was mine, and it was right next door to Antique. But then you also had the music industry there. You there had Island Re- Records. There was Tower you Records. Tower Records, right. You had Island. You had... Um, also, all of the used record stores around there correct. as well. It was incredible. Yeah, it was- and in fact, a photographer who's also um, part of our sort of culture crush... Uh, oh, Destiny. ...family. No, I'm talking about Jeanette Beckman. Oh, Jeanette. Um, oh. Legendary Jeanette Beckman, who did... Um, when she was working on her book... We were um, talking about some stuff she had found in her archive, and she had been assigned, I can't remember, who, I think it might have been for Paper Magazine or something, because she shot a lot for them, um, that she had photographed the staff, the staffs at all of those different stores. She had done group mm. portraits of like the Tower Records people right. versus the Antique Boutique people versus oh, wow. the, and those, and they didn't wind up in the book because it's mostly about her music stuff okay. and whatever. Um, Rebels, it's an incredible book. Everybody buy a copy. I think book. it might be sold out, but we'll see. Um, but, and this to me, just because of the way that I grew up and, and that I knew what all that stuff, I was like, oh my God, these are so important for a sort of cultural history of downtown New York. She was like, you think? And I was like, oh my God, yes, I definitely think, you know. Um, But of course, she's looking at it versus, you know, pictures of, you know, superstar, you know, rappers and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So, but I remember Russell Simmons used to walk up and down with headphones on and it looked like he was talking to himself because nobody really did that (laughs) at the time. And 
Yeah, it was uh, it was great. I remember that nobody ever really went past Houston. Uh, and no. there was no retail, <laughs> and I couldn't understand why there was no retail, but there was a rumor out there that they were putting a McDonald's on the corner where the Dwayne Reed is or was. And um, what happened was is that an L a, um, air conditioner fell off the building and killed somebody. So there was like a million dollar lawsuit. And they didn't want to fight, you know, like it just stayed idle for years and years. And a landlord came to me in 1991 and asked me if I would open up a store in Soho. They charged me no rent for two years. They built out the store. They gave me whatever space I wanted to at $47 a foot, which was, Yeah, Sophie, you, know, you have to understand, Soho at that time uh, was just a, um, a ghost town of abandoned factories and broken down old buildings where maybe there was a squatter. I'm not even yeah, sure. Yeah, you could buy on Broadway between <laughs> wow. Houston and Prince <laughs> mm -hmm. on the west side of the street where... Um, I think Verizon phone was the exact space, but you were able to buy that building for 1.2 million. And you didn't want it because it was such a shithole. Because they <laughs> offered it to us and we said, this is terrible. I mean, only because we were not real estate people. We didn't know what the value was. We were in, a, in an area where they, if they're giving me free rent, it can't be a valuable place. Right. <laughs> you know, and you needed to really know what you were doing. I'm very confident to be walking it down there walking around in Soho. Yeah. Only during the day. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't go and at not night. not alone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was rough. It was, I mean, I remember the meatpacking district. Was, it was just, it was rough because it was just so abandoned yeah. and empty mm -hmm. and there's, there's nothing, nothing scary no in police, New York. You know, no only police. prostitution, drugs, and muggers. That's it because you never went down there. In the middle the, of the day. The big trinity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. it's sort of like Saturday night fever, you know, mm -hmm. how... The city was, you know, it was like very run down. The trains were all graffiti on the inside, outside. You know, it was it was a fun time looking back now. Back then, we didn't know any different. Now, yeah. as times passed, we have retros. Mm -hmm. So we get to see what we experienced firsthand. We get to rehash it. And then other people like my kids, whatever, they were like, really? They don't believe that Soho was a shithole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there you were in the middle of that shithole. And I loved it. so, yeah, you loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, one of the big things being in the beauty business is that it was mostly owned by gay-oriented people. I was straight, non-homophobic, so I didn't care. You know, when my father had his stores, he catered more towards the health and beauty aid world. And, you know, it was a little different culture. It's not to say he was against that it just wasn't um as loose because in his era gays were called faggots mm -hmm. and they were all crooks i mean i didn't see it like that i'm like okay you have drag queens they're crooks you know a lot of them a lot of them are not but they still have to buy products if they're not stealing it and so if they're coming in the store and they're not crooks they're going to buy it mm -hmm. so i didn't have a problem with becoming friends with as many as i could but my key thing at the time was I stayed up front and I gave everybody who worked for me a, uh, a notebook, like a, a little pad. And their job was to write down anything that a customer was requesting that we didn't have. And even if they, we never heard of it, I mm -hmm. would do everything in my power to get it. Now you had no cell phones. You didn't even have really beepers. So the thing was, is that I trained my staff to actually have to recognize the customer. 
because the customer would come back a few weeks later and said, hey, did you get that for me? And, wow. and at the time you had employees that actually worked and stayed with that job until something better came, unlike today. Um, so they would help me and I would you know, buy stuff overseas if people were traveling to France or Italy. I would tell them if they can get this, bring a few pieces back. I wouldn't bring anything in quantity. I just wanted to make sure that if I, that I can get it. And if I couldn't get it, it was very, very rare. I don't remember any products that I couldn't get because at the time I would go to the Bologna show, I would go to China, I would go to Hong Kong. Wait, what you do know. you mean the Bologna show? Beauty. Oh, well, yes, beauty, um, like. the Cosmo Prof uh, in Bologna was well known. At, that's where they would launch all the fragrances in the 80s. It wasn't like it's here, here you have a department store that does a launch, but over there, you would have thousands of vendors introducing fragrances and skincare and makeup. It was way ahead of its time. Like my father used to go there and buy products there and fill a container and ship it over. Mm-hmm. That's wow. how, um, you know, fragrances were unlimited. Just the way professional hair care, fragrances back then, you were able to get everything but the US brands. You know, you mm-hmm. couldn't get Estee Lauder, you couldn't get Ralph Lauren, um, Clinique, I think. And that was pretty much it. All the other ones like, um, at the time, Pierre Cardin and Halston, even though it was American, um, there were so many different brands of fragrances. I mean, as you know, fragrances were a huge business and they would be introduced there. So we would take advantage of it. Yeah. And nobody did it, but we had stores that if we bought a thousand pieces of a something, we had stores that could absorb it all. Right. You know, that's it's funny that you point that out because right now we're in a moment where like every celebrity is launching a beauty brand. But you're right. In the 80s, it was everybody had a perfume. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a fragrance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Skincare was not, not in. Be, right. Skincare wasn't in. Not even makeup yeah, or anything. It was just, wow. that was just sort of like celebrity. Eau de toilette. You know, like, that's what, because yeah. you know, <laughs> people didn't know what it was or Liz, cologne. Yeah. Elizabeth Taylor had like all the yeah. big, it was like the only product that like A-list star, you know, female actresses, let's Correct. say, could attach their name to was, mm-hmm. a, was a perfume. And you know, and you got to remember the because of Marilyn Monroe and Chanel Number Five, and it was like that, you Mm -hmm. know. But beauty, otherwise, beauty and hair didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Well, you had to be a nameless, faceless model, and that was a time also. I know. Here we are, like the two other statesmen. No, I'm learning so much. (laughs) The the Gen Zer over here. that uh wait what was like no i lost my train of thought um so from perfumes no without social media and stuff it was like Mm. you know just sort of like getting across um this you know like you were saying like the vibe of the thing it was like a completely different thing so you needed that sort of star power um and the models were the average person would not have known even the, what we would consider if you were in fashion and let's say the top model the number one model of the moment the average person on the street wouldn't know her name wouldn't really? know the name of that person they mm-hmm. the point of being the top model then was that the consumer could sort of um project themselves into the moment Mm-hmm. There wasn't this like, oh, I want to be right, and they all had different looks. Person. You had, you know, everybody had their own little like yeah. Linda Evangelista had that nose, right? You know, and but you... I would argue that even in the nineties, the average person 
even who might have read Vogue wouldn't have known Linda's name. Even if she was on the cover of the magazine, if you weren't in the business, and let's just say you lived in Dallas and you right. were and you were a Could Vogue be. reader, right. mm-hmm. you would not know the name of yeah. Linda Evangelista. Yeah. I mean, I only knew it because when I was <laughs> right. in it and I was super into it. Right. Where and then you, they became the supermodels. They became names. They also then, shopped in the store. I mm-hmm. became friendly with them mm-hmm. and everything took over from there. Right. You know, and right. that I was it's timing, you know, being on top of what's going on and luck. But I would meet them all the time and they would, oh, you know who I am? Uh, who doesn't? Right. You know, that's the way <laughs> I would see it. Mm-hmm. Is and a lot of people didn't like they said they would walk around and especially downtown, everybody walked around down there because of it. You'll have like a Lenny Kravitz. You'll have, I mean, right. everybody and who they would is have an been, A-lister. And they would have been around down there because that's where all the photo studios Correct. were. So they were working and they mm-hmm. were shooting every day. And then again, like, you know, who's going to know more, be more interested in like that hairspray that, yeah, you can only get in Germany because right. they probably just came from some commercial catalog job in Germany. Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. were, that's what I mean. They were part of the insider thing. And then it was really at that moment that it switched over and the models themselves became celebrities. But that is, it's very, very hard to believe, but mm. it was yeah. true that uh, it was like insiders and outsiders. But yeah, yeah, it was like that that spot that you're talking about in Manhattan, that's a, where all the photos, because of the fact that there were those old abandoned buildings, a lot of yeah. photos, you know, there were, so there were these was huge, there on the corner. There were these yeah. huge spaces that at one time were like chicken factories or, you know, so they were these huge spaces and the photo studios at a certain moment sort of like took over those spaces. So the models would have been around, they, all the hair and makeup professionals would have been around those areas, the artists, the That's why I just needed to be creatives. on the cusp of yeah. all that, on the yeah. safer side, yeah. which was Soho 718 Broadway, right. you know, so walking distance because it was already bringing them there. Right. I remember speaking of- So this is a beauty story, it's a real estate story. It's yeah, like, okay, well, ahead. I remember, um, Steve Matt, not Steve Madden. Um, he's a photographer. Stephen Mizell. Mizell used to oh, come that, in. That little unknown photographer. Yes, yes. <laughs> he used to come in all the time. I mean, wearing black all the time. It was just it was comical, you know, when he would come in, and he would complain to me that um, the bobby pins he would have to. And he needed help in me making them matte because at the time in the early 90s, you had one bobby pin, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was a dollar for a From pack of Right. From goody, okay. Yeah. So, and it was just a high gloss one. And for photo shoots, it, as the, the, um, the pictures would take, you know, there would be a glare because mm. it was shiny. So I took it upon myself and started uh, spraying them with a matte black and even taking uh, files and bring them down mm-hmm. and that he would test. I became friendly with him and he would call me um, when he's in town to do a shoot and he was at Pier 59 most of the time. This is, but that was a little later on. But so I would send somebody over there and drop it off every time he's there, I'd never charge him or anything. And he would sometimes send his driver. Now this is going back 25, 30 years. I live in Williamsburg. I go to my local deli. I run into his driver, <laughs> Manny. Right. And I didn't even recognize him. He said, Rick, do you remember me? And I was like, no. He goes, Manny, Stephen's driver. 
And I was like, holy fuck. I mean, this is going back 25 years. The guy remembered me. I mean, I remembered him, but not instantaneous. And I was like, wow. I mean, and then stuff like that has been happening over the last four or five years of just so many different things from the past. You know, people tell me, remember when you did this? And I go, oh, shit, I can't believe I did that. You know, um, but okay, not, nobody got hurt. You know, so... It's a full circle moment. Yeah, it was, um, it's been a really nice retro. You know, I think as somebody or anybody that builds a business or does something, it's okay, you know, after the morning period, you know, or morning, you know, if you lost it, sold it, or for whatever, okay? The retro is amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it just makes me smile thinking about all the stories. But that's how New York was down there. You know, you were not um, like the Upper East Side or Upper West Side people who were a little tight wound. Downtown was a free-for-all. Nice. It was like Escape from New York movie. You know, it was like, it was wild. <laughs> the there was just... I always tell people Sophie's age to watch the movie after hours. And... Sure. Oh my Square, God! You know, and that's it. Even though that's sort of a, a fantasy element to it, it kind of is what it a was Griffin like. Griffin Dunn, yeah, right, Madonna, <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, she was Sally or something like that. No, 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 wait, no, Madonna the, wasn't in that. Okay, so it that was, was the um, other one. It was Patricia Arquette. Patricia, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. great movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you're thinking great, of Desperately Seeking Susan, yes, yes, which yes. is another great. It's, it was the same era. Of, yeah, it was same another movie. great snapshot. But After Hours is really about the sort yes. of the emptiness of down there and. And the leaving yeah. uptown and going downtown, and it's yeah, it was a, never it was a whole trip. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, going from uptown to downtown, it was a journey. I mean, I remember going to places like Area, and people were doing coke nonstop. You know, on the dance floor, it wasn't they I think didn't they stop. Still it. are, I think they still are. <laughs> well, they probably well, it's just in Brooklyn now. Yeah. Now it has fentanyl in it. Uh, yeah. I know there's another a zombie drug out there now. Anyone who finds some drugs that they lost from a long time ago, at least. You it was good. Pure. At least you know it doesn't it have good. fentanyl in it. It was pure. Yeah. Yeah. It was pure. <laughs> well, it was pure something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sophie, why don't you talk about some memories that you might have since the old timers here? We keep going. Well, I I do it. have. So I also grew up very boyish and tomboyish, and I really wasn't into makeup and such. And in the Bronx. In the Bronx. Up in the Bronx. Yeah, oh, nice. Shout to Soundview. Um, <laughs> I that's just how I was. I was a very tomboyish girl. But my uncle and my godmother. Shout out to Frank and Desi. Um, they always took me to the city because I didn't. My mom used to work at St. Vincent's, so we always were around there. I grew up around there, and we would always go downstairs. I mean, downtown, and like make a whole day out of it. And one thing I always remember is if we're in the city, like okay, we have to go to Ricky's, and they always just drag me. And at first, I remember being like, oh my god, because like they're just, you know. My uncle was like looking at the toys or he was getting some makeup. My aunt was like, oh, I remember vividly there was one time where she was like, oh, like I need something to like make my lashes grow or like helps like extend it because like my lashes are like so thin. And I just remember her just like testing it. And she's like, what about this one? What about this one? And as a kid, I was just like, oh, my God, like I want to go to the park or I don't want to be here. <laughs> but going, like, you know, getting to like my tweens age then my aunt would be like, oh, well, you know, you're coming so nicely. Like, put some lip gloss on or like, and I remember like going to Ricky's and she'll just like kind of pluck whatever. And that was like my first introduction to just like having any type of like makeup on just as like a pimply acne kid and just like, just a little mascara. So like, did a little, that flip oh. you? you know, it flipped me a little bit. You? I think like even then, like, 
Because at first it was Ricky's, and then she, then we graduated to like Mac, and that was like Mac is really expensive. So <laughs> I was like, this is too much. But it was just that's like a fond memory of just we always went there with my aunt and uncle because it was always like a city quintessential thing to do. Right. Like if you're in the city, we have to go to Ricky's. And I just remember Vivi, like, they have, like, the little baskets mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, like, stuffing everything. And, you know, because it was ne- the one that we went to, it was always next to, like, the lot less. So we always got snacks after. I think it's the Which, one that was near Union Square. Okay, on 14th? 14th. Well, no. Or 8th. How long ago was that? This is 20... Maybe 6th yeah. Avenue and not, 11th Street? Most very, likely. Not most very long. long ago. It was 2000 and... <laughs> I know. It was, yeah. the t- it was like the mid-2010s and all, you know, just so long ago. Yeah. Um, well, mid-2010, they were all there. Yeah. yeah. And there were oh, there was like 20-something of them, and then they started trickling down. I left in 2014, and... It was they, definitely before high school, so it was definitely like a 2011. Yeah, then there, yeah. there was every five blocks, there was something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that also when you're talking about the nostalgia moment, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's always this way because of the, you know, there's, I mean, like something like Sephora, like everybody loves Sephora, but it's also nice to remember, oh, but there was, you know, like it's so branded and so corporate and so, you know, and then I think that in people's memories, they think of Ricky's and it's like, oh, the place where you could get the bobby pins that's been, that have been right. sanded down. Yeah. You know, and it's the opposite Correct. of the the monoculture, um, even um, just to talk about like, oh, you can only get this hairspray in Germany, but you couldn't get it in New York. Even that doesn't really, you know, now you can just go online and like order from a store Correct. In, in, in Seoul, Korea and have it sent here and... And um, so, yeah, I think that um, the nostalgia is this idea of like searching and finding stuff on your own. It's um, getting stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Like, oh, these are things that like the people love. It's the same reason why photographers like Sophie shoot film, Mm. you know, um, while everybody else is like, look at my new iPhone. Um, Their generation only wants to shoot film cameras. As the prices increase every day. (laughs) You know, I like. Um, I was given a lot of opportunities to go to places like China and see how products were made. And, you know, when you have a decent amount of stores, you're able to buy a minimum quantity mm-hmm. and bring it in and create products on my own. So there was one vendor that would supply our entire wall of peg merchandise, which was like goodie. And then you had like Maybelline and all that stuff that everybody has. And it's all pegged. The way that that was done, that was done through a local company that would charge a premium for them to handle every week to write orders because your staff couldn't do it. Um, Nobody really was pushing anybody to be educated. I took advantage of it and I went to Asia and ended up doing my own packaging and charging a little bit less. And then I would quadruple my money where I was buying, um, I think it was duckbill clips. Goody was selling them for like $3.79 for a four pack. I was able to sell a 12 pack if I wanted to for $2.99. There was so much margin in taking over a section that you were paying a premium for, for somebody else to rack job. So I saw stores like Dwayne Reed and everybody was following that path. I made that into one of the more profitable sections of clips. And then it got me to see about creating my own products Mm -hmm. based off what models, stylists, and makeup artists were asking for. So I went that route. Like I remember Beauty Blender, I created something similar, not as good, maybe 30 years ago. 
And my partners and stuff and the manufacturer thought it was something wrong with me. They said, What's Beauty Blender? The, the little like the pink um, one? Um, where you could like apply like foundation. Right. Yeah, Look, Pam, I see all the makeup uh, I have on my face. Yes. <laughs> yes, so, Just in case yeah, there are any listeners yeah. out there yeah. who are, as, you know, okay. No, and I did that. And then like 20 years later, they did it. And I was like, wow, I didn't get offended. I, I, because I felt that keeping these things rolling, sort of like, and I'm not comparing myself to Musk, trust me. Okay, but Musk, how his whole thing with his electric cars, he makes that manufacturing and that technology available for everybody so that that way maybe somebody could even do better than him. Right, right. So I didn't get offended that people copied me or didn't. It just inspired me to go further. Right. Yeah. When we first met, that was I asked you that question. I was like, "What were your favorite things that you that you had done?" And I thought you had such an interesting answer, which was that you tried to solve problems, problems that you saw professionals Correct. or non-professionals have Correct. in their struggle to beautify or whatever right. you know women <laughs> express with, themselves right. well, through women, hair beauty correct you know women with over dyed or very very dry hair mm-hmm. their hair is fragile so i created a, a set of clips that were aluminum which is a much lighter weight than nickel plate and put a grain like a um a little bit of a treatment on it so it was uneven so what would happen was it would grip the hair with dry hair and over bleach, if you use a regular clip and you put it in, it's gonna break the hair even more because of the weight. Mm-hmm. So I fixed a problem and then I just got so into fixing problems where it was a problem. You sound like you a know? scientist right now. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, it's like my daughters made fun of me, whatever girl I was dating made fun of me. Everybody made fun of me all the time because when I would go into like a hardware store, I would find the coolest packaging. And I was like, wow, this item is freaking great. So my daughters, they would always send me pictures thinking of you, dad. And it was something <laughs> whacked out that they know that I have no problems with working off. Right, right. <laughs> um, Sophie, do you have any problems you need Ricky to solve for you? Do you would you have a wish list? Yeah. Oh, well, wow. the, uh, the needs have changed for right. this group. Uh, you know, know. They, have, <laughs> they want a longer battery life for their iPad, you know? <laughs> I mean, even with just like with makeup and... I think, oh, I don't know. I mean, recently I, I found out about like eyeshadows that come out like in almost like a matte pen type thing in terms of instead of just a regular, just because um, I'm also very untraditional where like I'll just do, I'm a very apply by finger person. My mom taught me to just like, just use your hands. But I guess in terms of, like the long lasting, but with more matte products, like that's kind of off the top of my head. Um, well, now everything, I don't think there's any, problem solvers in the makeup business. That's what I say. I, you know, like everything's the kind makeup of is covered. one thing. Hair care is an ongoing thing because hair is always changing. People are dying it. There's always touching. When it comes to skin care, they're not fucking with anything. Right. You know, they don't want to break <laughs> out. You know, they, you know, like there's a little known fact that the best products in skincare are at Dwayne Reed and Ulta, all it's the packaged ones from like Procter and Gamble, Johnson and Johnson. When was the last time you heard of a negative write-up about any of those brands? You know, Johnson and Johnson. In our lifetime, it's only the talcum baby baby powder. That's it. They have such a high grade of being legit and authentic and pure for everybody out there. 
So like when people would ask me, what's the best makeup? I was like, whatever Ulta's pushing from Procter & Gamble, because their testing is like no other level, but companies like Mac, Estee Lauder, they have stepped up. They're equal now, but back then they were not. Back then, like mm. where you were trying to find something or you found something, that, that probably doesn't exist anymore. There were so many, it was so fluid. There were so many different new products that were coming out in the makeup world that who knew if they were gonna stick more than a month or two. It was hard for people to um, buy into it because the trends are changing so much on makeup. Hair, That's they're true. not changing. Makeup was nonstop, whether it's gonna be a translucent lip gloss, and you have to figure out the colors, and then you gotta buy in so deep, and then you have to round it out. You can't pick just the three colors that would sell. You need to make it complete, otherwise it's gonna get lost, and it's just was mind-boggling, so wow. it's better in their hands. I always tell everybody, don't ever try to create a makeup brand. I don't care what is just, you know, recommend somebody else, maybe do the tools for it, maybe do some sort of a sealant. Mm -hmm. You know, you do the accessory to a product and buy from the big vendors. Mm -hmm. Got that? Well, <laughs> no, I mean, it? it's- Do you want me to repeat no. it? <laughs> no, I mean, which it, true though. <laughs> we, just rec we recorded that, so. Huh? <laughs> no, I mean, you want your- Is that good or bad? <laughs> No, that's good. No, that's oh, okay, great. no, okay. <laughs> the knowledge is like sinking into my brain right now. It's like, no, like you're, you're spitting right now. I was like, okay, wait, that makes sense. That All makes right, sense. so you're going to be at a big wrestling show next week. So, so are you going to share some of this knowledge with them? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're going to be doing books. it in a brewery. So it's going to be, and it's, it's, it's going to be, we already we actually sold out the seats today. So I'm good very happy. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. So, all right, let's bring this okay. back around to, to the Culture Crush um, and right. our foray into thinking about culture through the lens of beauty, which is what we are Oh, that's what our topic now, was? Right? That yeah, was let's, let's, that so was now let's start topic. it. Okay, let's Turn the mics on. I mean, I, <laughs> right, oh, is this thing on? <laughs> is this thing on? Um, so, I mean, no, I mean, actually, I think we can, like, start to wrap up, but um, so beauty and the cultural narrative, so... What's the narrative, Ricky? What's what's the future? What do you what's next for you? What are you thinking about now? What are you thinking about now? Um, now there's a big nostalgia moment, um, and and everybody wants to know what you know, and you have an, a wealth of experience, and what's you know what's what are you what are you seeing? Um, I don't know. I, opportunities I still feel are there. I mean, I feel that the products that I created still have a meaning. You know, it still fixes a problem. Mm -hmm. I worked for some of the bigger companies like Goody and Conair and stuff like that. And the stuff that I brought to them, they didn't implement when I was there. Years later, when they sold the company, uh, not Goody, but um, Conair, they integrated it because I left them with a nice little platform, but they still didn't nail it. You know, they're not marketing it. They're just put it on the shelf, and that's only one form of advertisement, especially if you're going, you have to go shopping for that. You have to be in a physical store. They didn't do like the marketing write-ups online, like why a specific mm -hmm. clip is better, why, a rubberi why rubberizing or soft-touching a product changes it. You know, like there is uh, clips that are, uh, they're called um, gator clips, they're hinged. I don't know if, you, they're very common mm -hmm. in the beauty space. And everybody has them, 
but very few people rubberized them and made them soft touch. I did it, so it was gentle on the hair because it's a very, very strong spring grip on the hair that when it comes to a regular plastic, sometimes you'll have that little thread or that little bump in it that might cut your finger or you know, <laughs> that might do something. So when you soft touch the product, mm -hmm. it increases the price a great deal, but it also protects it from any short or any little sharp components that were on a plastic clip because quality is limited on, uh, on us buying cheap things. Like the bigger companies need everything by price. They don't care about anything else other than price. How do I get it to 13 cents mm -hmm. so I could charge $7? I'm like, crazy. You know, I would do it. How do I get it to be perfect that I have one of the top quality price. products mm -hmm. of this bullshit item? You know, it's a fucking hair clip, but I don't care. It didn't take that much. You know, I remember when I first started doing soft touch, which gives that soft feeling, like a rubberized feeling, the manufacturer said, oh, Mr. Ricky, too expensive. And I'm like, what do you mean? Three cents more. And I'm like, well, it's 13 cents. Now it's 16 cents. I charge five, uh, for three pack, I charge 5.99. Um, okay, you're right. It is expensive, but let me try. You know, I mean, like it was back, then when I was creating products, they only go with price. Right. I went through, price was a concern. It was in the top three, but quality was one and two. Right, right. So that's what you want to do. You want to keep yeah, yeah, yeah. developing Sorry, products. I got off track. Yeah, I mean, as you could <laughs> hey, see. that's what I'm here for. <laughs> no, but as you can see, I get so into some of the smaller details. Yeah. I still feel there are opportunities in the big chains and online for creating products that fix and marketed for a problem, okay. you know, and that's the stuff that I enjoy doing. So when I get offered a consulting job, if it has that component, I say yes automatically without even addressing the money or anything because I'm passionate about it mm -hmm. and I've done it before and it's very easy to, to keep it going because I have all the contacts. I, I created, I didn't copy anybody. So when you know what you're doing, you know, it's all there. Sounds very familiar mm. as we're sitting in the, <laughs> That's in the right. studio. So, so is this part one? So this is part okay, one good. Um, <laughs> in our development of, uh, okay, so so if any last minute questions, otherwise we can I end mean, part one or how about Culture Crush and Ricky product collab. drop, merch drop together? Maybe sure. sometime next year. Sure. Well, love it. <laughs> little hair okay. clips. I'm here Sounds for hair good. clips. Everybody's okay. here for hair clips. All right. Got well, it. all right. So, well, thank you so much for coming by. I'm sure we're going to do this again. Good. So, Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, I'm so glad you were here too. And just and so you know, you girls pop my cherry. This is okay. the first podcast I've ever done. All right. Really? Oh. Yes, I'm no longer a virgin. <laughs> well, you're very good at it. I'm Thanks so, happy so much. Your first. Thanks so much for coming by. And until the next time. Thank you.